This is Raphael. I'm Lauren. We're the Pacheco siblings and welcome to the Hypercube podcast, a talk show in which two siblings converse about anything and everything. All right, at it again. All right. So here's a hot take I've been thinking about. It's not my hot okay. take. I will say this. Oh, but this is a regurgitated hot take. Yes, yes. But uh, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm repeating it because I agree with it 110%. The, okay, it, okay. It's not my hot take. I first heard it from Zach Reno, oh? one of the two of the pair who do Off Book, the Improvised Musical Podcast, yep. which is a phenomenal podcast. A phenomenal comedic pair. Yeah, ph- well. yeah, yeah. Zach and Jess, they're, they're amazing. But I first heard this hot take from Zach Reno. Wasn't his hot take either. He was regurgitating <laughs> it from from somebody else. But so this is my so like third hand. Popular. This is my third hand hot take <laughs> that I'm about to give you. All right, all right, all right. Here you ready for the? You ready for this third hand used hot take? <laughs> A used hot take. Oh. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Hit me with it, Raph. So here's the thing. If Jack Black wasn't so darn funny, we would probably rightfully consider him one of the greatest singers of our generation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, dude. Okay, hold on. That's not even a hot take. That's just true. Right? It's just That's just 110% true. Right? Yeah. Like, it's so weird when you put it that way. Because it's true, though. Like, that's the yeah. weirdest part about it. It's, it's like... I mean, like, he has, like... He has, like, what, five, six octaves of range it's ridiculous but yeah he has an incredible voice he's an incredibly gifted incredible. singer yeah. but it's like legitimately like, the only reason we don't consider him one of the greatest singers probably of all time is the fact yeah. that he's so darn funny right i guess that yeah, it's because like he falls under the comedic genre so i was like ah we, we don't have to take him seriously it's like dude's dude's killing it yeah like he, well he's so conditioned us to not take him seriously yeah. that you kind of naturally do so even yeah. in the face of genuine talent have you seen his youtube channel i don't know if i have seen his youtube channel jablinski gaming all right i think you showed me a little bit of it once but yeah yeah it's so dumb and it's <laughs> like that's that's jack black he's just being a dad and just like I, th- I think the whole thing is he's going around showing his kids like old school arcade stuff before they die <laughs> and so it's a gaming channel but it's all done in arcades oh wow that's cool it's i know right and it's like He's just, and he's just like cracking dad jokes the whole time and he's just being a big bearded dad <laughs> and it's like this dude he's a genuinely not only is he, is he a genuinely good singer he's also like a straight up a-list celebrity sometimes right yeah sometimes <laughs> in his off sometimes. time um yeah but yeah that's a i think it's the classic well i guess that this is rooted in a lot of different traditions right it's kind of like the drunken boxer kind of thing right where he fools you into thinking that he's some sort of punchline, but the yeah. the joke is that he's actually really, really impressively talented. <laughs> yeah. But he, it's Extremely also impressively talented. I think, I think it's also part of like the clown tradition, right? Where that's, that's true. That's sort of, he plays this sort of jester role in popular yeah. culture where he's the fall guy, right? He's the one who you, yeah. you can, you, he invites you to point at him and laugh, which yeah. really distracts from the fact that he is a absolutely brilliant singer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my, my third hand hot take, but it's 110% true. Like that is the, 110%. Only, the only reason, the only reason we don't consider him as great of a singer as he is. <laughs> Jack Black, I remember for the longest time was like one of my personal, like, just in general, just idols. I was gonna say like like music idols, but like just in general, like I love that his his movies are fantastic. I haven't seen any of his like recent stuff though, but 
uh, just because I haven't haven't had any time for movies. But yeah, like School of Rock, fantastic movie. Yeah, just like obviously there's the classic um, Pick Up Destiny, which is Tenacious the the Tenacious D movie, whole feature length Tenacious D film, which is just his entire style of humor and vocal prowess 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 and and vocal prowess just front and center right it also retroactively i don't think i could have appreciated it much at the time when that film first came out just the sheer amount of talent that is in that film generally like there's a lot of people in that but like you got dio and meatloaf in the first in the opening sequence yeah and it's like whoa first song Whoa. The first song, Meatloaf is his dad and Dio is his, is his idol. It's like, okay. Which is perfect. That's just yep. the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how it do. Yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, Zach Reno also posited this uh, clarification, is that, that there might be like an alternate universe in which Meatloaf didn't happen Dude, and Jack Black was the first. I hate to say it. I hate to say it. I love Meatloaf. Uh, Meatloaf is great. I love Meatloaf again as an actor and as like musical talent if jack black was meatloaf he would have had a better career because <laughs> you hear like meatloaf talk about like how people only think of him as as a singer and like he doesn't really get a lot of the acting gigs that he would like like pure acting gigs because like he's he's a pretty good actor he was in fight club uh, i think some mm-hmm. other stuff as well obviously he played jack black's dad in pick up destiny but that was again a singing role right so like people think of him as, as a singer he's like no like i, I want to do acting i want to be seen as an actor i want to do more acting stuff jack black has that he has both singing roles acting roles acting singing roles and it's it's fantastic like he's he has he has the career that meatloaf wanted <laughs> very true i guess the, the yeah i think that that, that inverse kind of goes both ways but uh, I, I, honestly though what we what we have with meatloaf and with jack black is probably for the best because we did get both of them and they're both doing fantastic work yeah yeah absolutely phenomenal but on the topic of um vocal ranges that blow my mind (laughs) we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast so um we went out to a little like event yesterday it was like a winter festival event type thing outdoor event live music food vendors light performances or light performers because i think there were these two girls i don't i have no idea if they were part of the event or not or they were just showing up but they were like hula girls they had like led hula hoops and they're just walking around hula mm-hmm. i was like that's dope are they supposed to be here <laughs> are, they, are they just like here for like like us are they just like enjoying the the vibes or are they like are they part of the event are they supposed to be here mm-hmm. and then on stage the, the when we first got to the festival there was this live performance by this fellow who had an amazing singing voice it blew my mind i swear he had maybe like one half an octave range <laughs> <laughs> it's it was it was bad raf it was really bad it which is exceptional like, in and of itself like when was the last time you got to hear bad live music like it, it seems like whenever you hear live music like, this dude was going up there right if somebody has a venue if somebody got yeah. a gig this is this was a gig usually it tends to be pretty good this was exceptional <laughs> yeah like this was like this dude went up on stage with the full confidence of weekend karaoke. <laughs> well, I mean, like he was like he had, he was dressed up. He had like an outfit or whatever, and like he had 
he had like a thing going on, but he, I think he was just like a, an older gentleman, maybe like, at, at least middle-aged or higher. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if it was just like, this was his thing. It was very like, I don't know, talky, singy type of stuff. Oh boy. Yeah. And it's like, cause like he was doing like, cause, uh, he, he played, uh, he played songs that I liked, which was the worst. When <laughs> sung badly. Like he was, he, he was doing songs that like are supposed to be, like super exciting and everything, and he's like, "Nah, we're gonna do it like smoky jazz lounge, where this is the only way that I sing, just like this, exactly like this. The whole song is like this." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and I was like, "Ooh, yeah, that was a." I mean, he made a decision. It wasn't a good one, but <laughs> he had a character, I guess. Right. So that was bad. <laughs> that was bad. And uh, thankfully, the second people there was a there was a duo who went up. Oh, the thing about that guy too. Like the the singing was the only live music part about it. Cause he had a, he had a recorded backing track and recorded backing vocals. The backing vocals were way better than he was, and <laughs> uh, it was just like you know coming through this, the PA system. But the people who went after him that was fantastic. It was this uh, duo, these two dudes, significantly younger, I imagine, and it was a singer and a acoustic guitar pairing, and that was that was great because they Ooh. were doing like like love ballads and like slow jams, and I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, this is it. Like, the night is coming up. Like, because, I mean, it's winter down here. So, you know, it gets dark at like 530. Right. <laughs> so it's like, all right. Yeah. Like, night's coming on. We got like all this good food. We got these good vibes. And it's like just slow jam music coming on. It's like, yeah, this is pretty cool. I'll, oh, yeah. This, yeah. This is, this That's right. Dope. I forgot to mention that, too. That you, we, I think we haven't drawn attention to the fact that you've changed countries again since the last podcast right. recorded. Yeah, this is, this is true. <laughs> uh, I am back in Australia again. Uh, it's winter here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's and th th yeah yeah me and Rose went to went to that that festival so I'm here with Rose in Australia but yeah she almost wanted to say hi but she shook her head <laughs> <laughs> we actually had a ton of stuff uh, on that day on the way to that festival we actually stopped by like a couple of shops and just had some fun there's a place here that is very nearby that I did not realize was this close and it makes me feel sad I feel like I wasted the entire three months last time oh what is this the shop is just called. Warhammer. <gasps> That's it. It's just called Warhammer. <laughs> just Warhammer. In yeah, the future, it's, it's there are Warhammer. no other shops. <laughs> Only War. <laughs> Only Warhammer. And it's dope. It, it obviously lots of Warhammer, mm -hmm. but they have a bunch of just they have a bunch of minis. They have a bunch of is it like stuff. A whole miniature shop. Yes, it's oh. it's whole thing. I think is miniatures because the middle. The middle area, so like we have the walls with the products and everything on the sides of the walls. In the middle, they just had tables set up for painting and constructing and, and constructing minis and like terrain and stuff like that. It was fantastic. Apparently, they have this thing called Mini of the Month, where for free you can come in, they'll give you a mini, ooh, and you can assemble it and paint it. Because these aren't the minis that come in. Uh, one piece that right, is yeah. like either 3d printed or whatever so these are the ones that, these are the classic old school minis where old 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 school like even before like tabletop minis this is like just like, just like yeah hobbyist stuff where it's like you have like cars or stuff like that right model it comes in model stuff yeah it comes in those panels that you cut out and then and then glue together right mm -hmm. first time i've ever done that i assembled a mini from the panels cut them out assembled it sanded it down and then we're gonna go back later at some point and paint them because we had limited time. We only had time to assemble. But man, I'm going to spend so much time in that shop. <laughs> Sweet. Wow. And do they run like Warhammer tables there too? 
So they said they were going to because I think they just came under a new manager. I think oh. she said just like she just started, so she's like getting like you know used to everything first, right? And then they're gonna start doing game nights and tabletop stuff. And wow! I was like, yes, tell me when. <laughs> Let me know. That's super cool. Put me on the list. Super cool. Yeah, and it's actually pretty close, and it's dope. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a neat experience. Yeah, so I've got this mini uh, sitting on the table behind me, Ooh. ready to get painted. It, it's not primed, so we're gonna prime it, then paint it. I have to put a uh, put pictures on the community server when you get yes. that painted up. Yes, I will. We have some uh, some pictures of the assembly, but we're gonna post those probably all in one big thing. Yeah. Oh man, that's exciting. That's exciting. You're finding some local tabletop community. Yeah. I need to find some place that does more fantasy D and D stuff because I want to. I want to run some some games. I want to. I want to DM for some people. Yeah. I mean, I would love to play uh, Warhammer, but that's a. It's a completely different skill set. Hmm. Well, speaking of D and D, we got to talk about what we've been talking about off stream a bit, which is one D and D. Yes. Because that was the thing that was announced recently. Not D and D one. One D and D. Right. That's how it goes. Yep. One D and D. One D and D. It's like one nation or something, except for it's D&D. I guess. But, I mean, we've, we've had our discussions and we've aired our opinions about it for informally, off stream, mm-hmm. or off recording. And, yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess we could kind of continue some of that discussion here, because it's kind of interesting. I saw the announcement featurette that they did, that big uh, promo yep. that they did as part yep. of their Wizards Presents live broadcast. And you kind of looked into some more of the playtest materials, the unearthed arcana and whatnot that yeah. came with that. And you presented a lot of the to me, a lot of the stuff that they're that apparently are in de- is in development. And what it sounds like to me, this is my kind of take, is right. they made a whole hullabaloo, dare I say, about it still being fifth <laughs> edition. Right. And yeah. they've been adamant about that for a while is that they want to stick with the fifth edition platform. And you've, yeah. you've speculated for a long time that that's what their plan was going to be, was to turn 5e into more of a platform that they could then expand upon in their design. And yeah. it looks like they're yeah. heading in that direction. But I th- I'm less convinced that that is the case now. <laughs> I feel like after hearing about a lot of well, the, what they're playtesting, I feel like this is more of a proper 6th edition. But, what you're, but you're arguing it's more of like a 5.5e of really solidifying the rules changes that they've made already to 5th yeah. edition. Yeah, so fifth edition. So, like, I think what they what they mean is, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think what they're trying to say <laughs> is that fifth edition was great, but ultimately unfinished, and this is the completion of a fifth edition. So, when they say like we're this is still fifth edition, what they what they actually mean is we're taking the ideas that we took in fifth edition and actually finishing a lot of the stuff that they did. Because, like, let's let's be fair, fifth edition is great, but it is in no way perfect. And the Ranger is a good example of that. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I, I think it's mostly perfect, say for the Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, but a lot of it is really solid design, though. That's the, that's the thing that I think works so well about 5e is that, like, if you just take the PHB on its own, it is, a, it, it is a, honestly a pretty masterful and complete system, I think. Yeah. Like, but the, here's the problem. Yeah. I think this is the, the primary thing that is happening. Is that mechanically, it's fantastic. Culturally, it's slightly problematic because there's only so far you can go with me- with, me- with mechanizing your birth before it starts getting into a little bit of eugenics territory, right? And there is some stuff that is like 
just like the wording or the way that you put together some of the character creation stuff because that's currently the only thing that's come out is uh character creation changes they're trying to kind of smooth over a lot of stuff where it's like mixed race stuff as well as right because they had having inherent abilities like uh, like adding uh, ability modifiers to races was just like it's slightly questionable and it's pretty problematic when you consider that these are people who have culture and you know thinking feeling uh, people within their own world mechanizing that kind of stuff starts to get kind of into that territory of the history of it was that these people were represented natives or these people represented these other cultures. And now you're saying that these people can only do this thing. You're kind of diving into the stereotypes, right? So they're trying to smooth over those kind of. Well, stuff. yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like only they can do those things, but just that they're they're They have like a sort of affinity They're at least stat wise. But when, it, but when you come down to play especially when it comes to not like everyday table play but like what's that called their official oh you're talking about adventure league yeah yeah so when it comes down to adventures league and you have like official builds the idea was that you give these bonuses to the people so that the builds start to trend in a certain direction right right it turns out that that was like pretty much the the rule and not like not it it was a rule not a guideline and so right yeah because they have discussed and i have observed that the those stat bonuses have an outsized effect on character creation builds right that was that was unintended and so So yeah that's it was intended to push people towards that direction without outright saying it but it was just as good as outright saying elves are wizards right Mm -hmm. and so they're largely not entirely but yeah for the for 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 for, a large proportion of of players yeah, and so they're they're cutting back on that kind of stuff. So th- th- that's the right. kind of stuff where it's like the rules as they were written are fine as a game, but we've if we've evolved Five E to something beyond that. If it was just a wargaming scenario, that would be perfectly fine. That's like nobody would argue with those stats if it was just a wargaming game the way it used to be, but it's not anymore. Now it's almost like a society simulator, and because of that. There's a little bit of like anthropology that we're going to want to ease up on and kind of not make too many assumptions about how your race is primarily where you get most of your traits because your environment does too. And so therefore those stats got moved to a different area. So it's not that the mechanics are bad. It's that they were problematic for what the game had become and evolved into. Mm hmm. So the, yeah, they're just changing the places that those come in at, basically. Yeah, because the, the, the balance is still basically the same. Right. It's just that in now that, that plus one and plus two that you would get from your race is now just moved to general character creation. You just get one, regardless of what race you pick, right? Right, right. Well, different races had different amounts, too. I wonder if they're going to keep that yeah. or if it's all going to be either plus, plus one and plus two. Or I think, uh, the, the, I think the general one is plus one, plus two. Oh, no, no, no. I think what they say is plus one, plus two, or plus one, plus one, plus one. Right. Okay, I guess that works. But I don't know if, yeah, but I don't know if humans, because humans are freaking overpowered because they were boring. <laughs> I don't remember if, <laughs> I don't know if humans are going to have something special with that right. stuff because they got a, they got plus one across the board, which is huge. Yeah, kind of huge. <laughs> it's kind of huge. Well, I'm, I'm sure that there's still going to be racial traits, right? Right, like in yes. terms of racial ability. So they still do have opportunity to add stuff like that. If the, a yeah. specific race has it, versatile advantages of the sort, they could just say you get a few extra yeah. ability score increases from your from your race in addition to the default ones. So 
one of their design principles that they were going off of for this new 5e <laughs> new 5e right yeah is practically 60 <laughs> practically 60 jeremy crawford was saying in an extended interview on the ua that came out he was saying we wanted to make these races feel like what did he say like the most that race of that race is like like the, the elviest elves right mm. they wanted their elves to feel like not just any elves but the elviest elves so now there's a lot more uh stuff that they're going to be adding to uh racial features like it's not that you have like uh, let's say dwarves uh with stone cutting it's not just that yeah you have a cultural history for a cultural a cultural affinity towards stone but because of that you now actually have mechanical bonuses as well that feed into it so now you feel even more like a dwarf so now stone cunning uh you can once per day get tremor sense Mm, i see i see or something like that and i think they're getting yeah i think that's part of like what they're some of the changes they made to the ranger were as well yeah over time which is this idea of making stuff that's basically more mechanical mechanically beneficial because they did have a lot of vestigial mechanics that were not really that useful in practice just because of the way people play the game, but that were more like role play heavy flavorful. Yeah. Flavorful. And it's like that, those kinds of features are great if your system is designed around it. Right. And yeah. we've seen that in yeah. other systems, but it's clear and has generally been clear for a long time that that's not what D and D is designed to do. D and D is yeah. very much a pulpy hack and slash uh, swords yep. and sorcery kind of adventure. It is not, it is not the kind of social simulator that say vampire is right. It is. And so those right, features right, right. inevitably got kind of sidelined by players over its history. So because of that, like now you've got dwarves that have like these vestigial limb, you know, mechanics that nobody yeah. really uses. So oh, yeah, like you have a, you have a bonus to like looking at rocks. Fantastic. When am I going to do that? <laughs> yeah. That's a very first edition kind of mechanic when you think it about is it. A very first edition. Well, that's where it comes from because the lineage of stone cutting is. Yeah. It comes from that player versus dungeon so master weird. dynamic. <laughs> yeah. But like uh, Matt Colville, I believe it was Matt Colville looked into it because the idea was, yeah, it was dungeon master versus players, right? The idea was in the first editions of D and D was the dungeon master had a dungeon. That's why they're called dungeon masters, a dungeon. It was very board gamey, right? Mm-hmm. You go to a place, you go to someone's house and say, hey, I want to play your dungeon. And then you pull out your miniatures and then you play the game. And that was the whole game. And so you would have dungeon masters who would throw in like these little, these little twists to the dungeon. Yeah, they're gotchas. Yeah, little gotchas. Like, ah, oh, you've been going on this 50 foot long straight away, but you didn't know that it was at like a 0.5 degree <laughs> decline. So now you're suddenly in the second level of the dungeon. Even though you didn't want to be, you're now in the second level. And because you're in the second level, everything's harder. Yeah. It was like a gotcha moment. And it was like, okay, how often did that actually happen? Because there are rules that dwarves can detect that kind of stuff right they can detect inclines in in the stone like they can detect stonework and they can detect hidden passages and stuff like that that was all fine but it's like how often did a dm actually do that and if it's assumed that the dm is going to do that surely it would be in the official games right like if gary gygax did that in his games then that would show up in official released adventures it showed up one time in an adventure where there was an where there was an incline in the stonework (laughs) And so that one time in an official rule, if you play the official game, your dwarf 
would have an ability that worked once <laughs> if you had a dwarf in that party in that game and if you remember that you have it well to be fair non-humans in general uh, were not very yeah. incentivized to play back then but yeah still it's yeah, one it of those vestigial limbs that that's still kind of around and it's like now even even when it was first in invented it, it was still very vestigial it was still very just like just a product of its culture this is purely <laughs> yeah this is purely flavorful but we're going to pretend that it has a, me a mechanical benefit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. I mean, well, obviously that came up, I guess, often enough in people's games, apparently, <laughs> of that, again, because of that player versus DM dynamic, that there would just be like random, just screw you over stuff like that. That's something these mechanics probably help to address. But yeah, that stuff is not really a whole lot of use for it nowadays. But still, that's the purpose of classes, though. Right. Yeah, the, exactly. That's the yeah, purpose like, of classes, not not races, you know, in terms of the design yeah. of the game, uh, at least especially as it is now. So, yeah, yeah I get all that. But it's like and, and I kind of like that they're solidifying all that because a lot of that has been in flux for some time. So I'm just like looking for a new meta to kind of set that yeah. in so that we yeah. could all be on the same page again instead of having to flip through like three different source books to try and explain yeah. to new players how to build their character so <laughs> the the biggest thing that they're doing is kind of centralizing everything because now they've acquired D, D beyond so now there's one place that you can go to that'll have all the information right because they, that's like DD Beyond yeah, yeah. is just a resource that they can continuously update. Now they're making it so that you get digital copies with all your physical purchases too. Finally. Yes, finally, finally. 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 Which they should have been doing ages ago. I've, I'm finally incentivized <laughs> to use DD Beyond. <laughs> yeah. And also, like other companies have been doing that just with PDFs for a long time. And so. <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah. Is that DD is old. It's really freaking old. And there's just tradition that they have to kind of like keep up with the image of dnd right lots of new companies are coming out and they're like we didn't have to keep up with these traditions we don't have to have only physical copies <laughs> yeah we're gonna release ours digitally buy it on uh dm's guild dm's guild yeah and well then, i mean like even so yeah, like just like have an update like like digital copies uh or physical copies coming with digital copies is are uh, is a thing that i've seen in a lot of yeah a lot of yeah. other rpgs it's just it's just a standard in some parts of the industry it should just be a standard having a digital copy and, and having it be easily accessible to to updates should be the standard yeah a physical copy is a collector's item it it shouldn't be the compendium mm -hmm. yeah exactly that's just not the way the world works anymore which is like crazy that took this long for wizards to catch up with that i mean it's been a standard i think it was a yeah. standard in comic books before it was you know and for <laughs> yeah for true. wizard source books so anyway that's just that's a little ranty aside but still like there's definitely a lot of changes yeah and i just uh that's what it would kind of put me off a little bit is just the sheer extent of the amount of changes for saying it's still going to be 5e right like it feels like they should just mm -hmm. come and outright say that this is at least a 5.5e but it seems in practice that that's what it's going to be but they have said that it's all going to yeah. be backwards compatible like all the adventures and stuff is still going to are still going to work yeah. which means the like the base mechanics are likely still the same even though it seems they, they are changing a lot of little stuff that's the thing i think the primary thing that they're when, when it comes to the mechanics being the same i think it's just that like they're keeping with the srd yeah d20 system the classes are going to change the races are going to change a lot of the actual like way you use the srd is going to change but 
it's still going to be d20 for you know everything and then classes d12 through six such and so on and so forth but they're remixing all of the the stuff to better suit how the game is actually played today Mm-hmm. I'll say today, but it's releasing in 2024. So in 2024. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, and again, this is all play test. So they're releasing these to kind of test the waters. We don't even know if these will make it into the final game. Like We don't even know if they have any intentions of making these final. They, this could just be stuff that they're like, hey, are you guys acceptable with these kind of changes? And then maybe just keeping it how it was, right? Because it could just be, yeah, everybody has your reaction of just, eh, I don't like it. And then they go, there as it was <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and, yeah right that could just be how it goes that's true that's true yeah we'll see i mean they tend to have pretty good play testing regiments and yeah. that's the thing is base 5e right with what was it dnd next that they called it at first yep. that was yeah, project dnd next or whatever yeah yeah that codename dnd next that was very thoroughly play tested and i think that's part of what contributed to the strengths of fifth edition in general was that it was very thoroughly play tested before yes, they ever launched very it. and so i think that's the reason why 5e's design was so solid and so curated by its launch right like it is it is a really it is probably the most solid version of this game that has existed today in terms just in terms of game design right just in terms of design there's lots of reasons to prefer some of the other editions but i think like this was the most thoroughly designed well if you want to talk about thorough i think i think this is the most efficiently designed that's fair that's thoroughly designed is 3.5 that's true that's true that's true thorough the thorough has a different connotation but yeah (laughs) yeah you know what i mean though yeah most efficiently it is definitely the most efficient when it comes to you know rules to game to table yeah exactly getting you into the game as quick as possible uh, with as few boundaries as possible Yeah, yeah and especially with as few barriers to entry as well like this is hands down one of the most accessible versions of the game so yeah and for sure i think they've kind of acknowledged that that's the part of the reason for their success and so it seems they're priming to do a similar level of playtesting for this update so yep. hopefully that means it's looking that way yeah that they're gonna because we're still very very early it's hard to it's hard to formulate too much of an opinion when we only yep. have playtest material so far so the, and just the one yeah, and just, <laughs> that came out like a couple true. weeks ago. And just the one at that. So it's, uh, yeah, so it's still, it's still early to tell a lot of things. Yeah. And, but if they're going to play test it that thoroughly, I think I, we could have some confidence that it's, if they play test it as thoroughly as they did for D&D Next, yeah. which became 5e, that we're going to see a similar level of refinement in what it actually launches at. I remember seeing, I think it was some kind of presentation, like once uh, D&D, I think once 5th edition had already launched, there was some sort of presentation by some of the designers talking about how they got to that point. Or maybe this was still during the process of D&D Next, I'm not sure. But um, talking about how they gathered all the data with all, all the playtesting material and just all the, just the sheer quantity of data that they had and then like compiling it and figuring out like what they liked and what people what people liked what people didn't like the spreadsheets that they had were fantastic because i love spreadsheets mm. the, the, the spreadsheets that they had were were great that was 10 years ago <laughs> for for gathering the data and compiling it and analyzing it and turning it into a, a completed project i'm hoping that 10 years later it's gonna be even better of compiling gathering getting information about how people play the game out of all this data 
I'm hoping that we're going to get something that much, much more closely, I, I was going to say that, that much more closely parallels how people play the game, but people play the game so many different ways. I think it's going it, to, there might be a problem where it's a lot of conflicting data of just like, oh yeah, we have like, you know, half the population plays the game one way, half of it plays the other. So how do we, how do right. we pick between these two different kinds of things? I'm wondering if that's going to happen because it's just huge now. But I think there are going to be a lot of ways that it's just like, there's like, you know, there's a lot of consensus about like, this is just bad. This needs to be improved mm -hmm. or not just bad, but like, this could be better. This, and this is how we can improve it. Like when, uh, Tasha's rules for, you know, pulling out the, the ability modifier from the races, everyone immediately went like, this is better at the very least. This is like just better. I'm hoping we're going to get a, a game that keeps the most people happy. Right, right. Yeah, there's obviously going to be a lot of compromise because you can't, you can't make everybody happy. Right. But I'm hoping that the game that they get, because the game that we got before with the Indie Next 10 years ago was, you know, pretty darn good. If they do that again, putting that game through another fine sieve mesh of data analysis and, and game design, it has to be better, right? Yeah. It just has to be. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if they could do it again. You know, it could be the lightning only strikes once in that place. But yeah. I'm ho I have hopes, but we'll see. Time will tell. Time will tell. Uh, could be they completely ruin it, and then everyone will go back to playing regular 5e. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of like Pathfinder 2. Right, right. We, we revamped all of Pathfinder 2. It's much better now, and everyone goes... Yeah, I'm just going to stick with Pathfinder 1, thanks. Well, that's the thing about, I think, the tabletop medium that I think has a culture for it more so than video games is the idea of just being able to use your system of preference, right? Like, yeah. people regularly go backwards in additions, you know, just because of preference. Yeah. Like, that's that's just the thing people do, right? Just because there is a Pathfinder 2 does not mean that you, you know, that's everyone's necessarily yeah. <laughs> playing that one, right? There's, yeah. It's just, it's and because of the fact, I guess, you know, being outside of a digital medium, there's less of this sense of forward momentum of constant uh, software updates or things like that of yeah, patches yeah. and whatnot or support or server shutting down. You don't have to worry about any of that. It's just like once that rule set is out there, it's out there and you can play whatever the heck you want. Yeah, I was actually going to say that's actually that brings up a good point because digital products that come out, not even, not even digital, but just like computer products, like stuff that came out on discs, right? There are people who play older versions of games because patches have fixed or broken certain parts of the of, of games, especially like speedrunners. Uh, speedrunners will like purchase old versions of like discs or cartridges because they need the original, you know, stuff. Because like, oh yeah, the 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 build, the system that that was used in this is better for my my use. Everybody wants it. But like it's so much easier in tabletop because it's it's not continuously updated and all this other stuff like people will even like with Steam. I think you can do this where you have to go offline and then purchase like an older version of the game so that it doesn't auto update. Right. It's like the lengths people go to to be able to do what tabletop inherently has for its benefit is just like it, it just shows that like having options is pe people like having options. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's always going to be different strokes for different folks. And yeah. people have, like you said, there are so many different ways that people play every game that yep. you can't account for everything. And so different people can have different preferences for different editions. And so, yeah, I'm just curious. I think the, the, the thing that's most curious about it is that this is the first 
really generational change of an addition for a major RPG that I play that, you know, yeah, it'll be yeah, my yeah. first time where I have to form that opinion, where there are people who have been forming that opinion for generations, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I'll be curious how that goes over for me. Do you think, do you think you're going to become a fifth edition Grognard? I might, I like, might. Ah, fifth edition. I've been playing that for, for decades and I'm not, I'm never, I'm never going to play these new games. <laughs> these new games all have, they're all, it's all woke. It's, it's all woke and I'm never going to use it. <laughs> could be, it could be. <laughs> I mean, there is a bit of an emphasis they placed in that featurette of playing like self-insert characters, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> it was just yeah. like, I think there's like, there's an entire crowd that uh, that appeals to. I do worry that it's going to encourage a lot of toxic player behavior, but you know, yeah. to to each their own table. We definitely know uh, some people who get a big kick out of playing well, self-insert characters. But that's the thing. That's that's the default, right? Because I, I talk about this all the time, but by default, PCs, no, 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 not PCs, players, Players who play D&D or players who do role-playing, by default, they are all psychopaths. The definition <laughs> of a psychopath is the inability to feel empathy towards uh, other people, right? Or the inability to, to put yourself in a position to experience something that someone else has experienced. By default, that is what a player is. You go to a game and you're like, oh yeah, look at all these little minis and all this other stuff. Like, oh, that's a stat block. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm trying to explain to you that that's a human being that you're, or an elf or, uh, you know, some thinking intelligent creature that has feelings and emotions and a family history and all this other stuff. And you're looking at it like it's XP. <laughs> Everybody, when they first start out, is a psychopath. It takes a while to come out of that and learn empathy and go like, oh yeah, I should start to treat the NPCs like people and then I can have a more fulfilling game experience. But the default is that. Right. And most people that's why, that's why don't ever come out of that or don't want to come out of that. That's why you get to, to murder hoboism. That's, that's the fast track to murder hobo. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, it's very difficult to, uh, first of all, it's very difficult to feel empathy. <laughs> Not only in like real life. It's very difficult life. to teach empathy. It's very difficult to teach empathy. Not only in real life, but like now imagine like it. It actually being not a real person. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's fair. That's fair. Because now, yeah, it is just, you know, graph paper and, and uh, stat blocks and yeah. miniatures. You have that layer of removal where you have to inherently buy into it first. Yeah. And so, you can choose not to. Yeah, you can choose not to. And that's not saying that that's wrong. It's just that that's the default. Yeah. And there's or at least you can choose not to without getting arrested <laughs> without getting arrested Ooh, that yeah, that's also a big fantasy as well um that is that is a bad thing that you do not play <laughs> do, do not fulfill uh sociopathic like sadistic tendencies in role-playing games because you want to do that and it's an outlet that's not ugh, that's, you should probably talk to somebody about that but that is a thing that people do as well yeah however yeah so that's the that's the default so when you default to that, giving this what amounts to set of numbers a personality and imagining that it has feelings outside of your own is extremely difficult. You know what, whose feelings and stuff like that that you do understand very well? Yourself. Creating a character that is just you with pointy ears is going to be the majority of, of characters. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. There's a dog. <laughs> I can hear that. <laughs> but all right. Well, we're running out of time. So let me let, let, yeah, let's let's yeah, yeah. let's do some rapid fire topics real quick. Let's well, first off, speaking of D&D, &D, we never talked about the last episode. 
uh, before we're coming to a close here. But we should probably acknowledge that there was an episode of this podcast that was never published, not for any controversial reasons, because we talk about a lot of controversial stuff, but because we lost some files. So yeah, <laughs> it sadly, yeah. sadly would never publish because I think it was it was probably one of the best episodes we record. I'm just going to throw that out there just so people can think about that. <laughs> it it might have been. Well, because it, it has a lot of the stuff that we were talking about in one of our previous episodes when it comes to just like just like our philosophy and worldview and just like just how we view art and also just but a lot of great topics like that a lot of great yeah. topics because we talked about because i was gonna say speaking of D, we talked about the um uh jamie stone and sateen phoenix controversy right. yeah so i told you about that and got your raw take on that so that's lost <laughs> i also told yeah, you i also got your your raw reaction to the avatar movies because uh you're a big avatar the last airbender fan and yeah, that's right big that avatar that verse. Well. yeah and so we actually for those wondering we did talk about that don't have that that episode <laughs> that got lost that has gotten lost yeah. to the to the metaverse um it is mm. it is not something that will see the light of day but i did not tell you about those because you you hadn't heard the news and i told you what the slate of avatar movies were going to be uh yep. the animated movies and yep. got your raw reaction to all of that so sadly that is gone but uh most importantly we did a we did an our first ever and only impromptu did you know segment which was on <laughs> virtual production and so we'll have to right. we'll have yeah. to redo that one at some point because we have a lot of things to say about virtual production and yeah. i think it's just It'd just be a generally good conversation to have. To be fair, we've had yeah. versions of that conversation many times before. So just presenting yeah. virtual production as if to somebody who has never heard of it is just going to be something I think that we could pretty easily recreate. But well, very easily, the, and also like I actually have a full, I have a full presentation ready to go for it. That is true because I had a, I had to construct something like that for something a little while ago. So I like I have all that information just at my fingertips if i need it exactly yeah but i think what we will miss though is that it was so spontaneous when it happened it in that one yeah and it was it was very natural uh that we kind of transitioned into into talking about that which was which was super cool for like i said only impromptu did you know segment but we lost it dang it <laughs> now and it's entirely my fault too like, <laughs> it's like not not to assign blame or anything but it was my fault oh <laughs> uh, yeah 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 you, you misplaced that file somewhere i still don't know what happened to it i can't even fathom what might have happened <laughs> i genuinely don't know because we we do um two episode recordings and i think that was the first one of the of the group no nah, you might have recorded over it like a like a tape <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the thing every single time i'm I'm closing out of the track it's like are you sure you want to do that this you can't get it back and I, I get struck with this pang of anxiety because i think the thing that happened is going to happen that's <laughs> <laughs> true yeah so they always got to double check now yeah okay one thing i want to talk about i think uh i'll try to and i'll try to keep this brief let's like i said these are these are part of a uh, rapid yeah, fire rapid fire rapid rapid fire topics um is because you were asking me questions about this concept of the exhausted majority earlier that was on our topics list and you weren't sure what that was and yeah i've never heard of that before this is something that a piece of vocabulary that i've come into recently that i'm like that's actually very useful for conversations that we have frequently so this will help streamline our, our conversations even more 
Yeah, um, yes, because we need to be more efficient. Yes, yes, we need we need more shorthands um, because this is something we actually we actually have talked about before, and it very much relates to a lot of <laughs> bless you, <laughs> a lot of the topics <laughs> that we talk about. So this is this is kind of bringing us into the political arena here. All right. So, Lauren, you've probably noticed that there's polarization happening. <gasps> what? Yeah, you, you might you might have heard about this on the news. <laughs> Actually, you might not have. That's the that's the problem. I know. I don't watch the news. <laughs> but yeah, the issue is there's a, there's a lot of extreme polarization happening because of uh, information echo chambers and media silos and things of that nature, and also just cultural and geographical uh, silos, and. The thing that most people not, might not necessarily realize because of the way information circulates now is the fact that those extremes don't represent everybody. And we've talked about how there have been a number of places, especially in journalism currently, there's this trend of the people in the middle who are kind of gaining curiosity about the other side and who are kind of meeting each other and finding each other right yeah. now intellectually. Yeah. And it's been really interesting to see that play out. And at first I was kind of fascinated by it because I was like, wow, that seems so antithetical to where our culture is now. But it turns out it's not necessarily antithetical to where the world actually is. It's just antithetical to what's portrayed in the media, right? So Mm. the exhausted majority was this term I believe it was coined by a study. I'll see if I could locate the study and put it in the show notes. But okay. it basically discerned that there is a demographic that represents almost two-thirds of Americans. Uh, wow. Yeah, about 70%, I think it's close to. That So more than two-thirds, actually. If it's, uh, I think it was close to 70%. Yeah, yeah. More than two-thirds of Americans. Somewhere, somewhere between two-thirds and uh, three-quarters. Yeah, exist in this ideological zone that has been dubbed the exhausted majority. And basically, that is... That is your people in the middle, the people who don't fit into those extremes. And however, the problem is that the exhausted majority is right now the least politically engaged. Yeah. And because well, the, 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 it's, in, it's in the name, they're exhausted, they're exhausted right? Like they, they see all this stuff and it's just like, this just sucks. <laughs> you know, Like yeah. everything sucks right now. The people to my left suck. The people to my right suck. Everything sucks. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the thing is like even the, and of course that's, that's a generalism. It's they're not all politically disengaged. And I think we would, yeah. we would solidly fall into that ideological uh, middle ground w- yeah. without necessarily being disengaged. But the issue is, is it's hard to mobilize people who don't feel like they have a place in, I, I think really what it comes down to is the voting booth is like, yeah. they don't have a, a place in the party system. And they so they feel their options are limited, especially if you're thinking from a pragmatic perspective of trying to yeah. get people elected, uh, then in oftentimes they'll just, you know, default into, uh, voting along party lines in whatever way is closest to them, but does not represent them, strictly speaking. Yeah. And so that's actually, a, yeah, that's actually a really interesting, what do you call that? A side product of, well, of, of party voting, of having, uh, also just like the way that our voting system is set up 
is that the majority of people like that first past the post. Yeah. First past the post, but like uh, the majority of people engage in what is called strategic voting and strategic voting isn't even, it's not voting to what you want. It's voting for what's the closest to what you want. It's like, because it's like what you, what, what most people actually want aren't the options that are given. Right. And you're right. talking about like this exhaustive majority of people who don't have any, uh, or who don't fall under those like political extremes, which pretty much everything is now. Like you're, you're like the Republicans are very Republican now. And like the Democrats are very Democratic or de- 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 they're not Democratic. They're very progressive. We'll say progressive or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the people in the middle are just like, I don't really want to vote for either of these two. options. Yeah. So if I have to vote, I have to vote strategically. I have to vote for the, for the people who I think will, will, you know, create legislation that is close to what I want mm-hmm. that I think will and win of that. and create legislation that is close exactly. to what I want. Exactly. Yeah. Be- and, and because of that strategic voting, you have people who are just like, yeah, I guess exhausted is the only word of just saying like, I'm tired of making compromises. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, I just, I just want what I want. Yeah. Well, I think it's not even just that like Republicans are very Republican and Democrats are very uh, progressive. It's that like the identities of these things are changing, too. And they've changed a lot just in this past decade. Right. Like the like the Republican uh, Party has become an almost fundamentally different thing. Well, uh, arguably, I guess some, I think, would make the argument that it is becoming what it's been the whole time. But I think that it's in terms of conservative values, right? There's this there's this trend towards illiberalism, and I'm I'm talking about no, I'm not talking about uh, political liberalism. I'm talking about um, classical liberalism, right? In terms of political philosophy, so classical liberalism would be basically the ideas of individual freedom that the United States was essentially founded on, right? So generally okay. speaking, most people understand classical liberalism to be a good thing because uh, yeah, okay. individual freedom is essentially the, the, the prime object of it. And so basically all of the United States and a, a lot of other free nations have their kind of founding documents based in this political philosophy. And right, right. The, on both sides of the aisle, we're seeing this trend towards illib- illiberalism, right? Which is anti- uh, individual freedoms and specifically anti what's the word anti-pluralism right Is like the idea of basically oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah anti-pluralism right insofar as like okay both like both worldviews both ideological camps cannot coexist therefore one must dominate yeah. the other right and so that's and you're seeing a trend towards that on both sides and that's where the, a lot of this polarization uh, either comes from or is a result of uh and so yeah. It, you know, it's a chicken and egg situation. But the thing is, because of that, right, that that trend, you're seeing, again, some fundamental identity shifts in a lot of the party dynamics where it is about, you know, destroying the other side. I remember hearing David French once put it like this, where we're in this sort of weird zone right now where every party's best asset is the other party. Right. Yeah. <laughs> be- yeah. That's the thing that right. they use to mobilize people now is just Look at how look what they're doing. Evil and horrible these other people are, right? Like you don't want that. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you want me. You don't want that. <laughs> yeah. You don't want that. So vote for this. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like that's just such a weird predicament to be in. But that's literally how <laughs> the rhetoric is moving. Yeah. And so yeah. there's this huge trend towards liberalism. Like I, I think 
to name a specific example, like you look at the Ron DeSantis stuff, right? Like a lot of the things he's been doing with like speech control legislation is like highly yeah. anti-conservative values, but now it's passing as conservative because that's where the party's at, right? Its identity is changing to something that's loyalistic to something that it didn't used to be, or at least it didn't say it used yeah. to be. And same thing on the, the, you know, the more progressive end of the scale, right? The identity has uh, changed in far more extreme ways than it would have been like just within our lifetime, within our, you know, our like a decade, even less. Uh, and so, and, you know, obviously the rise of stuff like, you know, cancel culture and things like that, you're seeing again, that right, illiberalistic yeah. tendency, this desire to not share space with people who disagree with you. Yeah. And like, that that is the, as a cultural phenomenon is it's it's very strange to me because like i genuinely don't understand it uh i remember there's something that happened recently where somebody uh some company right uh a, a business a, a money making machine mm -hmm. uh, made a decision that made a bunch of people angry and it's just like I think I think it was some burger joint was making like a veggie patty or something like that, right? <laughs> and a bunch of people were like, "Oh, I'm never gonna eat at this place again" because like they're, they're they're going woke, and it's like your option's still on the menu. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, your stuff is still there. It's just that this whole new group of people are now going to be able to eat here. Is that a bad thing? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just it's very much it, it, it's it's anti, not pro right it's right. anti whatever it is that you don't like it's not pro yeah your set of beliefs it's anti these other people's beliefs and because of that you there is no world where those two in, in these people's minds there is no world where those two things can coexist where if it, if you had pro your beliefs then even if somebody else came in with have this complete different worldview but also have aspects that share your belief system there's room for that to coexist, but not if you are anti whatever it is that these other people are. That cannot exist. It's not that you're for something. It's that you're against something. That's not a way to live. Right. It's not yeah. a way to, to form a society. Yeah. Defining yourself by what you're against. It just doesn't work. And the pulling data on this is terrifying, too. Right. Like that, that, that's why there's all of a sudden like very real talk of say uh secession or a fracturing of a republic in other senses yeah. right or, the, or even like civil war like things like that get tossed around now ideas like that as predictions because of the fact that things like the the polling data is reflecting that more and more people on either extreme are answering the question of like essentially can your views coexist right in a yeah. governed society with people of other views and less and less or more and more rather people are answering that in the negative and saying at least it, talking about american politics specifically that's where we're kind of getting at here yeah this yeah. is where the exhausted majority comes yeah. in is and not not to say some of these trends aren't happening elsewhere but that's just what we're referring to in specific is yeah, yeah the more and more Americans are answering that negatively of not believing that their worldviews can essentially coexist with people of opposing worldviews, which is an issue because that's essentially what our republic was founded on. Right. This is that is yeah. classical liberalism is the idea that we can coexist from different uh, worldviews with different desires and compromises can be made. Uh, but. There's again, this is part of a larger trend towards illiberalism in the in the classical sense of the term. And yeah. that's kind of terrifying. 
But the fact that I'm terrified of that puts me in the same spot as it turns out a majority of people as much as 70%. Yeah. So that's what the exhausted majority is. And the difficulty now is essentially in finding a way to mobilize everybody in the exhausted majority because yeah. they exist. Like a lot of people are sick and tired of what is happening right now. It's just a matter of just figuring out how to create a system that can capitalize on that. I have heard some states have actually implemented some form of uh, ranked voting system. And so that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Like that's, I think it's in places like Alaska and stuff, though. Right? No, it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the place that's where a little less fantastic. That's a little, those are the places where you can experiment, though. You're allowed to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, no offense, Alaska was like, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> wow, Your population is so low. Get wrecked. <laughs> oh. uh, Australia here has a ranked voting system. Is that right? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the details, but I understand. Although everyone is forced to vote, and I don't like that. I understand there is some measure of, of ranked voting in some places now in the states. Yeah. Uh, I don't know to what extent, if it's just for specific kinds of elections or things like that, but I, I've, I have heard uh, some discourse That's around true. that. And, and it might just be like local stuff, because I don't think you can do that for uh, yeah. generals. Yeah, probably not. Not for sending somebody to D.C. or something like that. But no. yeah, so... Anyway, exhausted majority, that is a useful term that I've, I've found very helpful for the kinds of discussions yeah. that we tend to have. So now you know it too, and now our conversations will grow more efficient. You're welcome. <laughs> very much so. That is, a, that is a super useful term. Correct. I, I, I like it. Yeah. Also, well, very brief note. I'll try to rapid fire this as much as we can. Have you heard about okay. this third party that's come up? Which one? It's called Forward. <laughs> it's called Forward? Yeah, not the catchiest name, but I, I get what they're going for. I know. What, yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't. Like it doesn't. Getting of a book or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, I get what they're going for, but it's it's definitely it's definitely what would you say? Uh, it's definitely a little cumbersome. It doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue, I think. But I think. Right. But yeah, this it's a new centrist third party that just got founded in recent weeks, and really yeah um it's that that okay that reason yeah wow. that reason and f it's fascinating because as some analysts have pointed out b because of things like the exhausted majority you know now very apparently existing it, there's kind of been no better time for a substantial third party to show up if it can mobilize that 70 percent right basically the challenge is to convince enough people that their candidate has a high enough chance of winning anything, right? That's essentially what the challenge is because of the fact that we use first past the post voting. Yeah, because with with our current our our current system is not good. But yeah, with first past the post, it's basically you have to convince them that you can win. Not even that you can get close. Like yeah, that you can win. Exactly. I think it's got to be a guarantee. Yeah, and that's it's insanely hard to do if you you know just starting as a political force. Yeah, yeah, that's a high that's a high bar to pass for basically yeah. the only bar that you have <laughs> yeah because anything what is it anything less than 50 percent and 51 percent right yeah anything less than that is 100 percent failure <laughs> yeah which is yeah is an unfortunate uh, product of the way our voting system works but yeah it's uh, the reason i'm kind of fascinated by it though is the fact that you know we've, we we have several non you know two-party options we have you know the green party the libertarians all that yeah but this is probably the only one 
that if it plays its cards right that I've seen has a chance to become a considerable political force just by virtue yeah. of the kind of names that are on board with it because it was founded uh first off uh, the kind of like the two principal uh founders one of them is andrew yang who is a you might remember him he was a democratic presidential candidate in the uh, 2020 elections so yes he was uh you know straight up socialist he's uh yeah he but he uh, is one of the the founding members of that, and alongside a Republican former governor, I think, uh, something like that. So it's like immediately, yeah, you've got two that's left. That's like that's left and right, like actually left and right. Yeah, exactly. Not <laughs> you have actual left and right two people who are like winners, right? Who have operated at a high level of political game, yeah. um, and. Well, maybe not necessarily like strictly winners, but like presidential candidate is a pretty, pretty high bar to get to anyway. Yeah. Right. Like even if you didn't win that and he has a lot of experience there, but like in their network that they kind of bring with them to start to form this is probably just going to start giving place to, say, all the never Trumper Republicans that are getting pushed out of office right now. Right. And all of the. Uh, Democrats who are, you know, not interested in the fervor and cancel culture and all of that of the sort of um, the the opposite extreme of populist rhetoric that's going on over there, right? Like now all of a sudden there might be a refuge for those kinds of politicians who are getting, who would otherwise get kind of eked out. So we'll see how it does. I just think that's a curiosity, at least for now. Time will tell, but they, but from what I understand, they launched with like a solid, solid amount of funding and are looking to see if they could have a presidential candidate for the 2024 election. That's actually kind of impressive. Yeah. I would say, I mean, that's pretty soon. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get that far simply because of the momentum they would need to even begin to like be taken seriously right. as a presidential candidate option. But again, time will tell. But that's a that is a recipe for success. Yeah, exactly. Because if ever there was a time where it would work, that time is now. That's the only reason for optimism, right? Is that this is this is the prime moment for something like this to work if they play their cards right. Uh, So, again, time will tell. But for right now, that's at least a curiosity that I think we could keep an eye on. For sure. Options are good. (laughs) (laughs) Solid wisdom. So this episode has gone a little long, but I think we could we could go a little longer because we're yeah. going to talk about uh, well, we're going to point out that this is actually a bit of a finale of sorts. And yeah. we well, let's talk about that. So we have decided that essentially with our hectic schedules and with how busy we are, we didn't necessarily start out with this intention, but we have decided is for the best that we run this podcast in seasons. So this is going to be the season finale for our first season. We're going to run as a 24-episode run to start with, and we'll probably be coming back to it sometime early next year, ideally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's, well, let's unpack that a bit, though, because I don't want to just leave it at that. This isn't just a mere logistical scheduling note, because we can't do anything without overthinking it (laughs) and give it some, some philosophical basis here, because... Well, first off, I think there's a lot of lessons learned here, and I'm kind of impressed that we managed yeah. to pull off a podcast at all. Like the upstart is the just hardest just going part. going into it. Yeah, the upstart yeah. is the hardest just part. Just dropping into it. 
Yeah, of getting everything set up with your RSS feeds and all that. And and the all the distribution methods it's definitely a new world that i'm glad i've dipped my toes into and now that we have our toes in it it's actually we have the infrastructure to be able to do more stuff like this which i'm really excited about because i'm coming to find that i love audio as a medium and i want to do more stuff with that i have a lot of ideas of what to do with that yeah i have have an idea for a (laughs) podcast that i want to run as soon as this one's all wrapped up and i'll have more time i might be able to start working on it yeah maybe and yeah, and like, and, that, and that's a cool thing because we already did everything for this podcast. It's like a really, it's a really cool system of just like you set everything up, and once we have it set up, all we have to do is just continue to add things to yeah. it. So this new podcast, it doesn't require any of that initial setup. We can just get going and just start running. Exactly. That's yeah. That's what's kind of cool about it, and what I'm coming to love about the whole system of of how podcasts work is once you have that infrastructure in place, then it becomes very modular and all you need is an, yeah. an RSS feed to plug in. But anyway, we didn't come here to talk about the technical side. We we're here to talk about the principles. <laughs> uh, yes. So yeah, we're taking a bit of a hiatus and we've decided that's for the best. And I think there's definitely a lot of valuable lessons learned here, even besides the, the, the technical and production aspects is that like, for example, the fact that I think we're at a point in our lives now uh, where we're kind of getting a bit more perspective on how we're we want to sort of shape our career paths r- respectively yeah. and i think what i've kind of come to realize and maybe you could speak for yourself afterwards is like i'm at a point in my life now where first off I've, i have been working full time for several years now in addition to doing all creative work and online content and all that yeah and that definitely takes a pretty hefty toll. It's a lot of work, but I love doing it. But the thing is, I'm starting to realize that it requires prioritization just because I am a finite human being that has limited time. And so uh, it's a problem. It is a problem. And I've kind of had to ask the question of like, what am I more interested in? And what, what, what am I what do I want my legacy to be essentially? Right. Do I want to yeah. be do I want to be remembered as a content creator that you know, maybe made films or, you know, other art projects on the side, or do I want to be an artist who happens to have a YouTube channel? I've I've kind of decided that the latter sounds more appealing to me. And I've talked about this. I think you could read my blog post uh, titled moving forward on our website that kind of delves into, I think the mindset I used to have a little bit. And we've talked about it here on the podcast too. And some of our own creative journey of how, like I very much was interested at a time at one time in my life in pursuing the content creator lifestyle. But as I've kind of grown and matured as a creator, I've come to realize that that's not really what I want out of it. I'm not necessarily looking for a career, although I want one. I'm looking for like creating and telling stories that are meaningful and impactful is just something that I have to do. It's something that I feel called to do. And and even at like a deeper spiritual level. Because art is powerful and it moves people and changes the world in ways that's almost that 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 is more powerful than pure rhetoric. And so, yeah, that being the case, yeah, I've kind of I've kind of realized that, like, with my limited time outside of my full time job, it's very difficult to focus on more than one project at a time. And at least if I do, you know, then some aspects of each of them suffer. And so, yeah, we were just because of our limited time. Yeah, just because of limited time. Right. Not because of any lack of effort. So I think at this point, from this point onward, I'm probably 
because we've gotten a lot of practice. We've talked about this, right? We've got done a lot of smaller projects. Mm-hmm. We've refined our craft in a number of ways with regards to film, with regards to editing and uh, audio engineering, with regards to writing, especially for me. I've definitely grown a lot as a writer over the years from where I used to be. And we just haven't had a chance to dedicate ourselves to larger works that really showcase where we're at creatively. And so I've kind of decided that it's like for what I do on this broader online work, I think it'd be more profitable to at least, you know, creatively, artistically, it would be more profitable to focus on uh, those major works rather than spreading myself thin with a bunch of smaller works that I know I can get done, but are not going to really showcase where I'm at, at in my craft. And so, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, we've been wrapping up a number of projects lately, right? Resident, as we speak, Resident Roleplay yeah, Prometheus yeah. is about to wrap up. And now this uh, the season of this podcast. And so with that freed up time, first off, I just need a bit of a sabbatical. I've come to realize, I've come to accept the fact Absolutely. that I probably need one. And, uh, and that, I think, it leads to larger conversations about the nature of breaks in general. I think it's ultimately healthy to have that and obviously at a scientific level like studies have shown that you kind of need that but even at a like a spiritual level like there's an entire theology of sabbath that's built into my worldview that i feel i've never done a sufficient job of observing um outside of like sunday right like I've, i've been pretty strict about keeping uh uh, you know, Sunday as like an off day for me, but like the principle yeah. of Sabbath goes beyond that. Right. Exactly. And, uh, a podcast I listened to the good faith podcast with David French and Curtis Chang, they actually did a recent episode on Sabbath because Curtis took a sabbatical from the podcast and David French never let him hear the end of it. Um, but <laughs> it was just like, all right, I'm alone now. <laughs> He's go. I'm, I have to work for a living, but yeah, they had when he came back, they had this larger conversation about the nature of Sabbath and uh, of sabbatical and especially the difference between sabbatical and vacation. And that's something I hadn't actually considered yes. much before. Yeah. Right. Those are different things. Sabbath is for rest. Vacation is for fun, is for, for leisure. Pleasure. Yeah. And the thing is, as they pointed out, I was like, I never thought about it this way before, but vacations aren't relaxing, <laughs> generally speaking. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of work to yeah. set up a vacation and they become their own stressor in a way because you got to save up money for it. You got to take out the time for it. You got to do all this logistical organization. And then even when you're on the vacation, you're under the pressure of, okay, is this enough fun <laughs> right? for how yeah. much work I put into, I into setting this up? Right. So vacation and do all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. I have to do all this stuff. I have to run around, hit all these attractions. It's just it's not vacations are designed for fun, which ironically isn't always a low stress thing to do. And so it's work. It's, it's a lot of work to have fun. I've come to find out. Yeah, it's a lot Especially of work to find out or to, to have fun. Yeah. Like when you're a kid, all the work to having fun is done by your parents. When you're an adult. It all falls on you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Fun just doesn't come out of nowhere. Like You, you got to plan that stuff. Yeah. So there is a distinct difference between vacation and sabbatical. And I actually think for the first time in my adult life, I do have some opportunities for what I would consider vacation coming up here. But Ooh. Uh, I think Sabbath and sabbatical is another thing yeah. that I think deserves greater attention. Because at a theological level, what it's about and what how this theme is woven into scripture is not just about 
taking a break, but being as Curtis Chang put it in that particular podcast I was referring to being content with incompleteness, right? And this idea of, okay, it's not about getting everything squared away and being finished with everything and then being like, okay, now I can, now I can stop and rest, but rather being content with leaving things open-ended and being like, I don't have to have that control because yeah. we believe in a God that's in control, right? That's the nature of, our, of my worldview is it doesn't all depend on me. And so because of that fact, I can be content and at peace even with a stack of papers waiting for me, even with a lot of incompleted projects still on the back burner, I can stop even with that still there and everything will yep. be okay. And that's a huge step of trust and of faith, really. Well, which is the, the root word that uh, faith even comes from is trust. So mm, really? yeah, yeah, their, their, their uh, linguistic roots like are, root? yeah, yeah, their yeah. linguistic roots are, are basically identical. So, and that, that's the idea, right? That's the idea behind, at least at a theological level, this idea of Sabbath. So yeah. that's something I feel I needed to be more deliberate about and something that I plan to be definitely at least do for a little bit here before I get back to work on Edenth season two, because that's going to be the main yep. major project that I'm going to be focused on once these ones wrap up. But yeah, that's a kind of a little bit of where my headspace is at going into making the decision to make this uh, a seasonal podcast rather than we would have liked to do it as a weekly thing, but that's just not feasible without a crew. I think is the thing. Like, I think yeah. we could do this yeah, as a weekly thing if we weren't also the editors and distributors and uh, yeah, marketers, exactly. you know, and managers and producers. Yeah, because doing this all on our own, just just like with anything else that we do, uh, it's a lot of work. And because we're doing a lot of things that, in theory, if we were just if we were just directors, if we were just the talent or the voices of a podcast, if we were just our ideal. <laughs> to pick your title for a project we could do all those things all at once but we're not we're also everything else in that project and because we ha- we're doing all these other things that we we feel like we should be able to do all at once which you know in time maybe we can in practice we have to make up for all of the other jobs that we have to fill with everything else that we do and then we fill all of our time and all of our time can't be spent on multiple projects yeah it just can't. It just the, it just the time can't. just doesn't exist. It just doesn't work out that way. <laughs> yeah, which uh, and I think just like sleep is important too, and I feel like that's always you would think for, yeah <laughs> for hyper productive people such as us who just tend to live that kind of lifestyle that tends to be the first thing that gets deprioritized right because it's easy to not do <laughs> and it, it is very easy to not do yeah and so that's ho- something i hope we can also address as we as we kind of uh clear up our frame a little bit more but that being said we're still here we're still going to be creating we're just going to be changing our strategy in a way yeah, that is both your time yeah that is both healthier and ultimately probably better for what we want out of it right in terms of what we want artistically yeah what we want for our careers and things of that nature Mm -hmm. so you know if you ask it's like again resident role play ending uh with prometheus uh this podcast ending it's like those have both kept us with regular stream of content for actually a little bit of a season here and 
with those cleared, it's like, okay, we're going to have a solid bit of time. So I guess if you would ask me immediately what I'm going to be doing with that time, like I said, probably going to take a brief sabbatical and then focusing fully into Edenith season two, but also, yep. uh, you know, as that progresses and as I have, uh, as I find time, I also want to focus more on my writing because I still consider myself first and foremost, a writer, and I just haven't gotten to do pure writing in such a long time. I've done a lot of writing for yeah, projects, yeah. but I haven't been able to stop and just write prose, uh, yeah, write a screenplay, write something like these projects. I have a lot of projects I'm really passionate about that I just haven't had the ability to give time to. And so I'm hoping to free that up just in terms of, in terms of writing, in terms of scratching that itch, because I have just have a lot of stuff that I still need to get to. I still have a, a novel manuscript that I need to finish revising. I want to read it. Yeah, that like that was that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I'm like, why did this stuff have to fall on the back burner? And it's because largely because I'm trying to do too many jobs. And yep. ultimately, I need to be able to prioritize on the things that I want most. And yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. And that's where I'm heading. Yeah, like with me, uh, part of the reason I'm even coming to Australia is because I'm trying to further my career. Uh, I've got some opportunities here to do a lot of film stuff, either as talent or as um, crew. I got some uh, some editing or other production stuff that I could do here, and it's like as well as some stunt work and talent work that you've already done. Yeah, as well as some work and talent work that I've already done. Still, have not, I have still stuff I'm not getting paid for, but still, you're getting your foot in the door. Stuff that's not mine, right? Yeah, and it's it's great being able to do this as work. However, yeah, there's it's it's gonna get to a point where I'm going to have to pick this as if I want this to be my career. I'm gonna have to pick this or all of the other projects that we're doing, and all the other projects that we're doing, unfortunately, just aren't. They're not helping as much as they used to. All those things got me to this point where I can now you do this as a job and have the opportunity to be able to you know present a acting or a a stunt reel to a talent agency and say yeah like this is what I can do uh, here's the kind of work that I I can I can do and here's my experience so continuous continuing to do that doesn't benefit me anymore and all this is just practice and I'm getting to the point now where practice is over it's time to do yeah and I'm doing and. Yeah, if, if I want to do this, because it's, it's, this is fun. This is extremely fun. But that's not going to help me get further. Yeah. And it's not going to continue. Well, continual, uh, it's not going to continue my career. Once I've got my career, then I can fall back and come back and do these as hobbies. When I have more time, when I have the resources too. The, yeah, when I have the resources and have the ability to say, you know what? I don't have to do this right now. I can just take a break and not worry about missing a week of content or, or whatever, mm. right? And just being able to do it for fun and being able to do it, like you said, as an artist who also happens to have a YouTube channel. Yeah. And not to say that our goals here are entirely pragmatic, right? Where it's just like we would want to abandon yeah. it uh, in uh, if it doesn't further our career. Right. I think its purpose still stands as a place at, to host the things that the projects that are entirely our own. Yeah, um, exactly. But the thing is, we also like you said, like we're we're also desiring to get uh apply all the practice that we've gained here in a way that can bring us into that next step right because we've got i think we've gotten to that point where we've kind of plateaued in our growth 
And we won't be able to get to that next step without branching out a little bit more, without giving ourselves exactly. to other people's projects that are larger than our own. And without uh, and with the resources and experiences we gain from that, that will naturally, inevitably, yeah, improve yeah. what we're doing here. And it just becomes a, just a much better uh, feedback loop than uh, having the one stream in its own vacuum. And, and that's the thing that I think we... We failed to not account for, but maybe we thought uh, we've, we we might have fallen a victim to maybe hubris back in the day when we thought we could do it all on our own the entire time. And I was like, it was just going to be us and we only needed us. But having that collaborative aspect and being able to reach out and be a part of other people's projects is a massive part of being not only a creator, but like in this industry of being a filmmaker and being. Uh, just this kind of storyteller that we would like to become the collaboration and being a part of other people's projects is such a huge part of of the role and yeah i think we're now getting to the point where offering ourselves as i don't know what you would call it just like as as artists to other people or to you know getting other people's projects or even not entirely that, you know, in my case, like just doing more, more spec writing, right. And things like that. Yeah. Like that is a career furthering thing that is still technically entirely my own, right. Until it gets into a I'm publisher's sure, yeah. hands, right. So it's like, <laughs> or, or an agent's hands, right. Or gets yeah. out onto the script market. It's like, yeah, that's, yeah, that, that like either way, there are things outside of what we are doing here exactly. that we, that, that are going to further us and generally. Out. Yeah. But and, and that's you know, you're you're saying actually um, like what you're gonna do after because like I actually when it comes to what I want to do on the channel after like I, I know all the short term stuff that I want to do like um, obviously I want to continue my career as a stunt person and as a, an actor and you know try to get into talent but that's like my thing like when it comes to the channel like I know I've got I I have a D and D game that I want to get started. Mm -hmm. I know I've got some, there's a lot of systems that I want to, uh, game systems that I want to complete and then play test on the channel. That would be fantastic. But it's like, but it comes down to it. Like, I don't really have too much, like, long-term stuff. Like, I feel like that's going to, uh, like, that's not something that's, like, normal, I should say. Like, we used to have, like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and all this other stuff for the channel. I was like, no, like, I, th I think I've got just, like, a couple things I want to do. And then if I have another idea that'll be it. Like, I'll just have another idea and then I'll try to do it. And being able to have that for, have that freedom of just like, if I have an idea, I have an idea for the channel is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, being able to focus on the larger scale projects on here, right? Cause it's like, yeah. if we put like the same amount of work that we put into the collective of the smaller scale projects into one major one, I feel like that it would be just more creatively satisfying exactly. and be more in line with how we want this channel to be presented right like as a yeah. almost as a brand but like as a you know as a a hub for uh extraordinary creative work that you don't see every day on youtube um so and of course being able to expand that which we've been doing a lot lately and bring more people into the fold you know our, our kind of in-house rotation of uh of, of our kind of central team has kind of evolved a lot over the past mm. couple of years yeah and um and that's been kind of delightful to see right it is not just a two-person thing but we would like to expand that even more and yeah that's something that 
really happens when we focus on these larger scale projects and focus on the work that we do outside of the channel. Yeah, I guess that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. And I guess that's that's basically all there is to it. That's the that is us winding down this first season of the Hypercube podcast. I should say as a closing note with regard to how we view the podcast in general, right? We kind of designed this podcast our design principle was to basically recreate the conversations that we have when we're not recording in a recorded format for people's enjoyment. Right. Right. Just to, just because we recognize that we're throwing out so much content that would be quality <laughs> if it were recorded. Yeah. Um, and so by that token, this is the podcast is definitely still something I would love to be a constant, right? Like it'll be in, in spurts and seasons, but always be something that we could come back to because this has yeah. been actually a really fulfilling outlet for me in terms of being able to get some of our ideas out there. And I kind of like the idea of taking in seasons because it gives it, I think, each individual episode more of a value where you do actually have a chance to catch up on it if you fell behind or you do have a chance to go back and re-listen to specific things. And it gives each individual episode mm -hmm. and each individual subject we tackle more of a weight, which is kind of how I think I like these things viewed more generally, right? Where each, each one is its own special thing. And so, mm -hmm. and I know with a lot of podcasts, it's like, it's hard to have that, right? Like if you fall behind, there's no catching up, you know, <laughs> because they come out so yeah. regularly and, or some podcasts like catching up, isn't really an intended way of viewing. That's the podcast. true. It's just listen to the latest one because it's all not the same, but it's like, you know, yeah, yeah. You don't have to hear all the episodes. Exactly. You know, catch up with the latest yeah. one with it. If it's, especially if it's more personality driven type of podcast where just listen to the latest one and you're, you're caught right up. Exactly. Exactly. But with this, even though, even if we won't be entirely, even if it means we won't necessarily be able to be entirely topical all the time, I do really like yeah. the idea of having each episode be more, uh, not necessarily of a standalone thing, but each episode being something that is more of an occasion, right? That is more of a yeah. like, something that we can reference to, right? Where we could say, look at this individual episode where we go over these topics. Mm -hmm. And because, yeah, we are establishing a lot of things here and a lot of our thoughts and a lot of our views and a lot of uh, our positions, as well as a lot of kind of deeper discussions on and ruminations, just meditations on subjects that we often talk about. Yeah. And having those fewer episodes that are more focused where we could say, okay, we know we cover that topic in that episode. And you don't have to sift through a sea of episodes. Yeah. Back. Yeah. So, and yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of think there's a value in that too, but I love having this as an outlet. I love, well, I just love our conversations. And this has honestly been one of the few ways to keep oh, yeah. them consistent as we've uh, grown more physically distant, you know? So I, I, I really love it for that too. And also it's just been a neat outlet to be able to, have guests on that we wouldn't otherwise be able to have very directly in our work, right? Like, uh, you know, we've had a couple yeah. of guests, we've had some, some interviews and it's like, that's really cool. And like I said, we've known some, we've gotten to know some interesting people and we've gotten a more yeah, expansive yeah. network of people that I would love to get to know better. And we have a place for that now, right? We have a place where we could talk to other artists if we want to, right? Where we could just converse with them and yeah, we have a platform yeah. where we can uh, we, we can use to 
expand on anything that we would like to do when it comes to like all all the creative collaborations that we we have right where we make we do projects with other people this is a place where we can expand with our like personal i guess collaborations with with people and so they and you know bring them in interview them and get to know them as people rather than just uh credits yeah exactly exactly so yeah this affords a lot of interesting opportunity that way but yeah the hypercube podcast i definitely think is something gonna that's gonna stick around as the sort of flagship podcast of p cubed for the foreseeable future <laughs> and yeah. it's uh it's definitely something that we want to we want to use to be able to have a lot of the deeper conversations and uh reveal more of our thought process and kind of how we talk and how we live our lives in in yeah. doing so and have more of that outside of just our our work so yeah that being said i guess this is our season one finale for the hypercube podcast and we'll be back in 2023 lord willing with more episodes and i definitely know yeah, some topics yeah. we got to hit right off the bat there are definitely some that are left over from this season we have so much left oh over. yeah yeah for sure like i think i would love to see you finish your gender series next time and i definitely yeah. think we need to in fact i'll make the promise now that we'll start off with the creative heroes episode because that's one i've been eager to do yes we said we were supposed to do that yeah yeah, yeah. That's one I've been eager to do. So because I think that I'm just eager to do it just for us to each other as well as us to (laughs) to an audience. Right. Because it's like I need to I want to know what principles you gained from the hero from the creative heroes that you most admire. And I think you don't necessarily know mine either. And so that's going to be I have to come up with a learning experience. I have to come up with like a uh, what do you call that? Like a. A short list. <laughs> like, I, I'm trying to limit it to what, I think we said like three or five. I, d- I had four. I have four. Four. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, you do you. But that's definitely one we'll have to hit as well. So, we definitely have a number of a number of things to continue here. But, yeah. I look forward to it. And I look forward to yeah. what projects we're going to be working on in the meantime. And being able to take a breather. <laughs> yeah. Being able to just... Stop with some other roses, I guess. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> certainly lots of roses to smell right now because the well, I also just realized that that works on a number of levels. <laughs> that's that's how I meant it. <laughs> oh no, I just got that. Um, but that's the. I mean, that's the thing is that that's a complete other reason that we didn't even touch on here. That is also very substantial is the fact that. Uh, our personal lives have been that, that is, crazy yeah. lately and in flux. And I think we just need some time to stop and enjoy that and focus on that a bit, because ultimately I think we've been kind of, we've been kind of drawn into, because ultimately that's the thing that matters most is your interpersonal relations. And that's something that requires deliberation and yeah. curation as well. Yeah. Cause we don't want to end up, being workaholics <laughs> yeah. and focusing too much on our on our our work and our career and not focusing on the people around us the next thing you know you're divorced and you have a an addiction to alcohol <laughs> <laughs> and you're middle aged oh no that's the worst part and balding second worst part <laughs> all right well thank you all very much for listening this has been the hypercube podcast this show is Edited by Lauren Pacheco, mixed by Rafael Pacheco with theme music by Mono Memory. Until next time, we'll see y'all later.
God bless. Hey, see you later.